Welcome to London Welsh Rugby Club Podcast. This is episode 48. I hope you all enjoyed the bonus podcast last week with Will Greenwood. Whilst we're always going to have our series with London Welsh personnel, past and present, we will also try and bring you some interesting characters from the game we love to offer some insights or opinion and relate that back to London Welsh. But thank you for all the feedback about that episode. It is much appreciated. Last week, we had some rugby back at the club now that community rugby stage D has been approved by the government and the RFU. The women were training on Wednesday, the youth had a session, but at the weekend, all our minis and youth were back at Old Deer Park, running about with smiles on our faces. This would not be possible without our fantastic volunteers. Our guest this week has been playing for the club for seven years and has a different perspective than most, having seen what it was like playing there with a pro team and an amateur team. Amateur team. A very, a very talented player who has made a great impression captaining the team in his first season Hearts of Middlesex 1, but has since gone on to have a challenging time with injuries. We hear about his introduction to senior rugby when he went to Australia for a gap year working and how rugby helps you find friendships no matter where you are in the world. Our guest this week is Lloyd Davis. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by London Welsh Developments. London Welsh Developments offer the entire range of services for all your home needs, from plumbing, electrical, joinery and building and maintenance. Their many years of experience building all forms of extensions and conversions, the odd new build and some bespoke garden rooms and home offices. You will clearly see the attention to detail and understanding of your home that is difficult to match. They really do care and want the best for your home with no stone left unturned. For more information, contact London Welsh Developments on 0208 335 9123 or email on info at uk. London Welsh Developments. Welcome to the pod, London Welsh player, Lloyd Davis. How are you, Lloydie? Uh, yeah, good, thanks, Gareth. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. No, no problem. Now, first things first, congratulations on your recent nuptials with your, with your wife, Laura. How's marriage life in that claustrophobic lockdown been? Uh, yeah, not too bad. We're, we're fairly fortunate in terms of we've both still got our jobs and everything, uh, and it's all been okay. So, uh, yeah, not too much difference in terms of married life. We've been living together for seven years now, so not too much change, but it was... Uh, Nice to get it done. It was third time lucky, so a couple of um, uh, postponements. But yeah, third time lucky, so we got it done. So yeah, all good. All good, thanks. You say no change, but they all change without rings on their finger, Lloydie. Just watch out, okay? No, look, you know, you've had a, would have had a different wedding because you were in COVID. So what what happened? What what, what changed? And uh, how do you have to ad- adapt your plans because of it? Uh, yeah, so we, uh, I think we were twelve weeks out from our initial wedding date, which was uh, May last year. So we had the big suit fitting weekend planned uh, and then that was the weekend we went into lockdown. Um, so we postponed it till August uh, last year and then obviously postponed again uh, until May this year. Uh, but we managed to sneak in a, a small version of it. So we managed to sort of get all the legal bit done and uh, had a really good day in December just with uh, immediate family. Uh, so that was, yeah, we were very lucky. So we snuck it into that uh, window where London was in tier two. Um, so got it done. And then we've since postponed the big one again till uh, September next year. So September 2022, where hopefully we'll 
celebrate with we had 150 yes so um, we'll be we'll be back to that hopefully next year yeah, it's amazing the impact this um, you know pandemic's had really, isn't it? But I'm glad you you've got plans in place. Do you know what I mean? Something for your, your wedding. So at least that's another good reason, really, to can you continue playing rugby and to stay fit, so you look good in all the photos. So how have you managed to stay fit and keep the rig in shape? <laughs> I think a lot of people would argue the rig's never been in shape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been trying to do a bit. So I. Uh, yeah, got back to pre-season last year with London Welsh. Uh, so the extended pre-season, I think we went from uh, June all the way through to uh, December. Uh, so that was good. Uh, get back to get back to running. Uh, a little bit of Bart Richmond every now and then. Um, and then more recently, I've uh, I bought a Peloton. I succumbed to the Instagram marketing. So I've been uh, <laughs> I've been using that recently, which has been good actually. So yeah, nice and easy to do in the living room. So uh, yeah. Well, if you, if you have membership of Peloton, that must mean your job's going well. You mentioned your job earlier. Um, so you're a management consultant um, in the finance sector. Have you been, that's, that's what you do, yeah? Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I work for a company called BCS Consulting. Uh, so yeah, management consultancy. So we go into uh, mainly banks uh, and help them out on projects where they need more resource or need uh, particular expertise and we'll... Uh, provide them with some consultants and, and help them run their projects so uh, yeah it's good good little company and i enjoy it actually so it's nice nice and sociable and it's allowed me to carry on playing my rugby as well so but it's been it's been good i've been there five years now so no quality and obviously quite quite stable and you've been working through lockdown which which is great so how has, have you been keeping in touch with um the club do you know, doing this last sort of three or four months when you haven't been able to, to train with them has there been much you know chatter going on on whatsapp or comms from kai in the group uh, yeah, there's been there's been a fair bit. So the uh, different WhatsApp groups are all fairly active. Um, so some of that I try and put on mute every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, there's good. There's, like there's a good lot, uh, good amount of engagement. So if people do want to get involved. There's, there's still that side of it. Um, but yeah, and then obviously the uh, preseason went all the way up to December. So still fairly active with that. So twice a week um, up till then. Um, so yeah, but yeah, been definitely been a, a strange year in terms of London Welsh or almost two years now for me because uh, the season before yeah. not really being a huge part of it. So, uh, but yeah, still still keeping in touch where possible. So this is it's going to be the eighteen month pre season really. So you obviously got we'll have um, a pre season starting in mid June. Is that something like you look forward to, but also you're fearful of because obviously Will Taylor gets you all uh, and tries to get you fit for the season. Is that something you look forward to? Uh, yeah, I think it is something you look forward to. I think the first couple of weeks are there's a fair amount of running, which wouldn't be my my strong point or the most enjoyable. I think uh, last year uh, was like particularly tough, so I'd only just started getting back to uh, like putting weight on my leg and and only just started running for the first time. And then I think two weeks in, I was trying to do hill sprints in Richmond, which were say character building. Um, but no, they are good. And then and then eventually after you get through that sort of first couple of weeks of, of just running and the sessions then become pretty good and, and more rugby focused um so yeah it's something i'll be uh, looking forward to i think and the club have been quite active um, on social media this last week around talking about a fixture back in wales so um you know it looks like you know we're gonna have some fixtures potentially you know either july or august to look forward to in wales did you go last time to the, the game in neath and played there at all uh, yeah, played down in Neath, which was good, good experience. Um, it's a shame we didn't have like a full side out because I think they, they had a fairly decent team out. So hopefully if we go down to Cardiff this year, then we can put a stronger side out and uh, and 
and maybe have a bit of a better game. But yeah, feel a great opportunity for us to go and play in these uh, Welsh stadiums um, with all the history and et cetera, et cetera. And it's a pretty uh, privileged position to be in to go down and represent London Welsh in those fixtures. No, definitely. And the clubs love it as well, don't they? All the Welsh clubs really want to say they were all fighting to see, you know, um, uh, you know where we'll go in the end. It hasn't, it still hasn't been announced really where we're going, but um, you know, who knows where that'll be. So uh, look, you know, um, I'd say it's been difficult 12, 18 months, you know, uh, but look, you know, want to know a bit more about your rugby journey. So where were you brought up and were you into like all sports as a child? Uh, yeah, so brought up in Bristol. Um, so yeah, uh, Welsh dad and uh, English uh, mother, but yeah, both sporty and, and an older brother as well. So um, pretty much every sport um, and from as early as I can remember, we were always uh, chucking a ball around and, and uh, playing every every single sport. So uh, played rugby from probably five or six, joining my brother's uh, under sevens teams, um, but then also played loads of uh, cricket, tennis, uh, a little bit of football, not much, a bit of golf as well. So, uh, yeah, as long as it was sport, we were we were fairly happy. And we did you play a local rugby club there or was that all our school? Uh, yeah, played local rugby club. So, uh, yeah, Yatton, Yatton Rugby Club was the where we started. Um, so I had uh, both my parents were uh, helped coaching as well. So they were pretty uh, active in the setup. So I think my dad started off as the uh, head coach or the main coach. Um, but there was a, I think, one year we he was he was trying to teach us as under sevens or under eights, and I think uh, a lot of the other kids were more interested in the conkers. So he laid down uh, an ultimatum of look, if you want to go and play with conkers, go and play with conkers. And I think I was the only one who understood that he didn't want us to all go and play with conkers. So <laughs> I think it I think it left with twenty kids going off and playing with conkers, and me stood there on my own. So after that, he was. Um, yeah, he was sacked from the head coaching role, and then my mum stepped in, who's a uh, was a PE teacher. Um, so she was uh, yeah a lot better with the kids, a lot more uh, motivational, to keep them engaged. So uh, yeah, she used to do the whole bit. I'm not sure they still do this in mini, but where the coach used to run behind the team uh, and direct play. So she used to be yeah very involved and yeah um, coached sort of all the way through the the minis. Yeah, I think they do at a certain age. They're, they're on the, the coaches are on the pitch with the children playing like tag rugby. I think after that, then they, they sort of you want the children then to, to make more decisions themselves and keep the spectators and coaches away because like because they only just like shouting at the kids. The kids then don't know where to look. So they, you know all that sort of risk, you know um, taking responsibility for your actions. You know from an early age is, is, is probably quite good. So you, you go to senior school and did you go to a rugby playing senior school and? Um, and have to combine senior rugby, sort of senior school rugby with your club rugby? Uh, yeah, so I, when I went to, um, so through junior school, I would have played a lot of uh, school rugby and club rugby. And then when I went to senior school and I was 13, I went to Monmouth school. Um, and yeah, then, then it was just all uh, school rugby. So no club rugby really then. Um, and that was, yeah, normally sort of two games a week um, and, and training two or three times a week as well. So yeah, fairly... Uh, fairly serious there in terms of the, the setup. So we had um, John Bevan was our uh, rugby coach, also my uh, house master as well. So the ex uh, British Lion and and uh, Great Britain Rugby League as well. So he was a uh, uh, yeah he was the rugby coach and also yeah the house master as I said. So he was a pretty uh, big role model and, and a big advocate for the for the rugby side of things there. 
And did your dad choose that school because of that reason, um, because of the rugby coach? Or did you did you have because from from Bristol to Monmouth? I wouldn't say that's a as a well well travelled path for many children to go to, is it? Uh, yeah, not not too many. I suppose most of the kids are from uh, Cardiff or yeah, a few from Hereford that that way. So yeah, I think we looked at a few different schools. Or I've got a brother who's a couple of years older, so they looked at a few schools uh, with him. And then I think as soon as my dad uh, met Mr. Bevan or John Bevan, <laughs> I think that the, the decision was the decision was made. No, cool. And you see, your brother plays. Do you still play rugby now? Then your brother. Uh, yeah, he uh, he's yeah slightly more successful. <laughs> Hopefully, he doesn't listen to this. Um, he yeah he's playing for Sale uh, Sale FC uh, up in Manchester. So they um, so they a similar ish story to uh, London Welsh in terms of the project restart. So I think he joined uh, seven or eight years ago, and and I think he may have joined when they were level six, and then now up into uh, National One. Um, so yeah, they've they've gone up through the leagues, um, and he so he's. Uh, been a part of that and he's been playing with I think he's taking a lot of credit now for uh, Tom and Ben Curry's success because he's played with them and even <laughs> Cameron Redpath he's trying to claim some influence over his career so uh, yeah no he's still playing up there uh, but, at a decent standard wait, What position does he play? He plays second row Is he? Second row, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll come on to the, the, the second row stories <laughs> with you, you yourself later so once you leave um Monmouth, and so you're only playing for Monmouth, no clubs. Um, you went travelling then um, for a year, or you went to Australia for a year. Did you play rugby in Australia, or was it just like just to sort of like find yourself before you go to university? Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I I got a job out there actually, so it wasn't just travelling. So it was working in a school. So I'd actually um, got a job as a gap student in uh, Knox Grammar School, which is a big uh, rugby school in Sydney. Um, and then last minute that fell through because the guy who was sorting it got the wrong year. Um, so, so that fell through. But luckily, last minute, I managed to arrange uh, for a similar role in a school up in uh, North Queensland uh, in a place called uh, Mackay, uh, which is about, it's probably about 10 or 11 hour drive north of Brisbane. Um, so sort of middle of nowhere. I didn't know anything about it. I think the only things that I found out about it was... Um, when you googled it there'd been some like floods there and the tornado there um so that was about the only thing i could i could figure out but yeah went there and played sort of my first bit of senior rugby as a sort of fresh out of school as an 18 year old um playing there and there's a lot of rugby league but um a little bit of union as well and it was uh, a lot of the teams were almost exclusively polynesian or a lot of fijians tongans samoans um so yeah it was a bit of an eye-opener uh, going out there and, and playing so i played for a, a team called the uh, cuttable camel box uh, and the idea was that you had the endurance strength of the uh, camel with the agility and speed of the of the spring box so that was my my team out there quite a baptism of fire really for a you know, young 18 19 year old bristolian going there with the uh, you know heavy set you know polynesian players is that where you developed your fantastic tackling technique you think in those days I think that was probably where I'd develop my sidestep. I think both in defence and attack. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the first the first game I played there was uh, we played against a team called Brothers, uh, and I was playing second grade at ten. Uh, and off the almost the first play off the back of a scrum, then uh, their eight picked up and uh, ran at me. And I think if anything, I accelerated his run. I think I looked like a starfish as I was flying backwards through the air. So yeah, it was definitely a, a baptism of fire. But yeah. It, it was a, they were a really welcoming club, actually, and I think one of the benefits of rugby, you can sort of find yourself anywhere in the world 
middle of nowhere and you can then immediately sort of find yourself in amongst the club and with 15 mates and that sort of thing so yeah I was, I was, I was pretty lucky to to get involved in that and uh, yeah definitely an eye opener in terms of adult rugby but you went you went to was it a town or were you actually in the outback sort of thing because because um 10 hours north of brisbane is that where's cairns because cairns up there somewhere isn't it uh yeah so cairns is like a further 10 hours on um oh so God. Mackay is like a um yeah this is a town I'd, yeah it's it's, it's it's a fairly reasonable town there's not much around it so everything sort of comes there there were uh, sort of everywhere around that is uh is definitely like out back an, an hour or two hours north of there was early beach which is like a popular backpackers stop um so there's a little bit of um social life there um my first one of the first games i played uh away games i played for the cuttable we um there's a two hour drive in land and there was a the pitch was at a rodeo a rodeo was going on at the same time so there was genuine cowboys i didn't realize that was actually a thing <laughs> there was there was cowboys and like bucking broncos uh, and all of that was going on uh whilst we were uh, playing rugby for f- five meters away from from all that so that was again another another interesting experience as a kid just out of just out of school yeah what a great way to start your rugby journey really to go you know go abroad and play rugby you know make friends you your friends through work friends through your rugby club and do you get to see a lot of australia as well in that year out yeah uh, yeah, got to do a bit, got to do a bit of uh, New Zealand and then, yeah, travelled back and forth to Sydney a fair bit uh, and Perth as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I would have liked to have done more, but it was, yeah, the the pay was, was, uh, wasn't great. I think it was uh, 10, I think it was $10 for a beer back then. And I think I was on $160 a fortnight. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, fairly tight, but we got to do it. We got to do a little bit um, and got to like experience things that like other that you couldn't experience that just doing traveling stuff so um yeah no it's nice and, and as i said they were everyone was very welcoming and all the aussies seem to absolutely love their sport so it was fairly easy for me to to get involved in things and get engaged brilliant and obviously then after that then you realize you got to go back and start university life and get you know your education sorted so how did you come to choose cardiff is that um because of rugby reasons or the, the course obviously the courses of the course you want to do but you know why, why cardiff uh, yeah, sort of fell into it really. I, I, you had to. I knew I was taking a gap year. You had to put down your university choices. I wanted to do business management because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So, uh, and Cardiff was up there in terms of the the rankings. Um, so yeah, without much thought, I think I uh, applied. I just put down this, uh, five of the top business schools, and, and Cardiff ended up offering me a place. Um, so I was, I, the original plan was to reapply and have another look, but. Uh, yeah, I, whilst on my gap year, that sort of fell to the back of my line. So then, yeah, ended up at Cardiff, I'd say more by luck than judgment. But um, I think luckily in the end, it's a, a brilliant university and yeah, uh, had a fantastic three years there. So you did play rugby for Cardiff, but am I right in thinking you turned up and um, realised there's quite a few tens there, you ended up playing second row or something. Is that right? Yeah, so I had... Um, <laughs> I, well, inspired slightly by my brother, who uh, who I think went to New Zealand on his gap year, and he, they turned him in from a sort of 12, 13 into a uh, second row. But I had the conversation, I think it was with my dad, and I said, the problem with turning up to uni and t- saying you're a 10 is that um, you'll, there'll be other people who, and I use the exact example of, there'll be someone who says they're Quinn's Academy, and then you just won't get a look in. 
And I think the first person I met was a guy called Rory Andrews, who was uh, Quinn's Academy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that sort of was the uh, made the decision for me. So I decided to say I was a second round, thought I'd get a bit more opportunity to, to maybe have a run out, which in hindsight maybe wasn't the best decision. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, you know, when the, if you saw, saw yesterday's game, Cardiff against Aden Irish, you've seen Seb Davis playing like a 10 and you know, on, on a break, you know, that nice little kick through to Josh Adams to score. So uh, I'm sure you're more than capable of doing that. But who, who, who didn't some of the, your London Welsh teammates, were they in the same college team as you as well? Uh, yeah, so in the, in the uh, first year, so I joined the, uh, the Freshers team. Uh, so uh, Morgan Brown was the uh, captain of the Freshers that year. Um, so who who had gone up through the uh, minis and, and juniors at London Welsh and all the way through, um, and then yeah, a few others. So Nick Heath, who would have played a few uh, games for the club, um, and then one or two others as well. Um, so yeah, we had a, we had a good bunch actually. It was a it was a, a decent side and a good uh, sort of social side. But then a, lo- a lot of the boys who played in that precious team then went on to play sort of first and seconds in the um, in the years to come. So a freshers team, would that be like just um, that's all new starters at university uh, and you go and play in that team first. And if you're if you're good enough, you then you go get into the, the first, seconds or thirds. Is that, is that the right thing? Uh, yeah, sort of. I think if you've got a, uh, people with sort of the good rugby CV, so people like Reese Howells, who was there at the same time as well. So obviously he played uh, schoolboy uh, representative international stuff. So people like him were sort of... Uh, taken straight into the first team and second teams um so i think they they would have even done a pre-season and, and joined straight in the first team and then sort of everyone else joined uh, would have gone into the into the freshest team uh, and yeah just so just for the first year so it was a yeah a good uh, social group of boys but also some pretty uh, tidy players as well now since you, you mentioned some of those players because they have given me some stories about you and your university days right but i'll, I'll give you the right to reply here and you can also elaborate so True or false, right? He used to rock up to evening training with his water bottle filled with Lambrini. <laughs> uh, I'd love to say false, but unfortunately that was true. But uh, Monday nights used to be the biggest nights in Cardiff. So Tiger Tiger Mondays used to be uh, the, the best night, which I think Tiger Tiger might close now, actually, which is a shame. Um, but training also used to be on a Monday night. And uh, the first and second team, I think, used to train from... 7.30 to 8.30 and then the thirds and the freshers used to train 8.30 to 9.30 so by 9.30 you're a fair way behind all of your friends who are going out so so uh, not just me I'd say a few of us used to uh, used to make sure that we weren't left behind on the on the night out stakes. They used the hydration as an opportunity to play catch up on the drinking stakes which is quite clever uh, really isn't it I'd say that's quite clever uh, yeah, so two, you, two you mentioned you mentioned Nick Heath as well so he's a former player at Cardiff and London Wells but you went on his stag do right and it, it broke you so much you had a month off work true or false? Uh, I, yeah that's true that is true that was the last stag do I went on so yeah yeah I had a full month off well I, I mean I had four days in intensive care and uh, in Portugal what before. So. What happened? Did you just up? Well, um, you tell me. Uh, yeah, it was a yeah, so strange one. So yeah, I had a we went flew out to Lisbon on the Friday. Uh, had a good day. Uh, going from various uh, different bars. Had a night out. Then on the Saturday, played some five side football in the morning. And I was starting to, starting to struggle a little bit. I was, felt a little bit dehydrated. Went to a beach bar and I felt awful. Uh, I couldn't the boys trying to make me drink but 
couldn't do it. So sort of worked my way through that for the day. And then we were about to go out on the Saturday night again. I said, I had to say to the boys, I couldn't make it. Um, I didn't know what it was, just felt awful, felt like I was really dehydrated. So I was trying to drink water, but ended up like not being able to keep any of it down. And then um, started throwing, it's fairly gross. So started uh, like throwing up blood um, and quite a lot of blood. Uh, I then started passing out as well. Um, so the boys came back, luckily at sort of two or 3 a.m. Uh, and then found me uh, passed out on the in the Airbnb uh, <laughs> uh, in a fair amount of blood. So luckily they saved the day, called an ambulance, and then went into hospital. And I had a so unrelated to drinking, had a um, had a hole in my stomach um, that had uh, torn open. Uh, and then uh, yeah, so they yeah, then it was four days in intensive care in Portugal with very little English spoken. So just sort of nodding and obrigado from me was all I sort of offered. Um, but luckily they, yeah, they helped me out and, uh, had, I think I had five blood transfusions. Um, and I think it was fairly scary, but luckily I didn't really know what was going on. So, uh, yeah, four days in there and then my, uh, mum and, uh, now wife flew out and then they, uh, they, uh, luckily took me home on the, I think the Wednesday or the Thursday. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then it was only when I came back to London, I went and saw a specialist here. Um, and he was like, he he's said like you're extremely lucky to be alive um so yeah they he, they uh, yeah he he sort of told me the amount of blood i'd lost uh, and the um how dehydrated i was that it was uh, lucky that the boys came back at 2 a.m and not 7 a.m so uh, yeah fairly thankful for them Wow, here's me thinking some sort of story. <laughs> they were this exaggerating a little bit on you'd been on a three or four day bender and you'd have a couple of days off work or something like that, but actually you were seriously ill in intensive care. Uh, oh my God. Um, but as you mentioned, you were in the Freshers Varsity squad and you were a goal kick in second row. Didn't you come on for the last 10 minutes and miss a drop goal? Uh, yeah, I think goal kicking is, uh, is not right. Goal missing is right. uh, second row. So yeah, I used to spend a lot of my uh, training sessions practicing my drop goals and showing off that I was a very skillful second row and then when it came down to the crunch in the in the freshers varsity and they they went down to penalty down to penalties or to drop goals um I was the uh the Martin Williams of the, the penalty shootout so I was the one who missed the Gareth Southgate um so yeah I think that was the first time I played in front of like a uh, big crowds. I think it was about 2,000 people there and uh, uh, yeah, completely bottled it. <laughs> I was put up uh, so Morgan, Morgan gave me the nod to go and, uh, and had complete faith in me and gave me uh, to go and take the first uh, drop goal and uh, yeah, said missed it to the right and uh, yeah, that set the course of, uh, of, the, of the rest of them so unfortunately we lost. But look, you know, all that has, you know, character building and enabled you to perform so well at London Welsh all those years later, yeah. So there's always, a, you know, a way to correct that. So in, in terms of the university rugby then, was it just um, after you played for the Fresher, did you then get to play second and first team rugby for Cardiff? Uh, so after that, I, I sort of, I, the Freshers bit of it was really good. The rest of it, I didn't really enjoy that much. The, uh, so I ended up sort of not playing um, much after that. Um, so I played a little bit of golf, um, but yeah, I didn't stop playing rugby for, uh, I think I played one game for the seconds and then yeah, stopped playing in the second and, and third year and sort of, yeah, fell out of love with it a bit, to be honest. Um, okay. uh, yeah, so yeah, not much after that. So. That's fair enough. For then, so you, you obviously graduate and you move to London because you find work in London. So the, the pull to London Welsh then, because you came straight to London Welsh, didn't you? But um, 
in those days. Uh, is that because of the Morgan Brown connection? He sort of suggested you, you come there or he just felt it was a natural place to come? Uh, yeah, no, so my dad had played uh, for the club in the, uh, I think, late 70s or through the early 80s. Um, and uh, I was staying with them uh, just down the road in uh, in St. Margaret's. Uh, so, yeah, I was looking to uh, join a club. And, yeah, sort of he pointed me in the direction of London Welsh to have a look at uh, what was going on, what sort of standard they were playing at. Um, so, yeah, join there. I think at that stage, Morgan was actually in, in South America. So then after I'd spent a couple of years there, then I managed to persuade him to come back down to the club and, and start playing um, again. And who was around then, you know, back then when you when you started playing uh, for London Wells? Um, and, you know, um, what league were you playing in? Do, do you remember the details of that? Uh, yeah, so I've, not many of the players would, have, would still be playing today. Uh, there was uh, John Shanklin uh, was, was playing then. So I remember uh, meeting him, I think, on the first day of training and, him telling me that he went to the Monmouth school as well. And I had no idea who he was. So I thought he must be a few years younger than me. Um, <laughs> and I must have, I must have missed him. He must have joined the sixth form after I left. Um, so I was yeah, surprised to find out that he'd, I think he'd left the school nine years before I got there. Um, so yeah, but there was, there was a few, so there's him, Will Davis, um, another Monmouth boy. And then, um, uh, yeah, a, a few, a few lads who uh, played at the start of sort of this project restart, but have, have uh, now left. I think Ian Horgan uh, was the um, was the coach. Uh, so yeah, he was he was uh, running the show in terms of picking the teams, and then we still had two teams out uh, every week. And it was yeah, it was a good little setup actually, and it was sort of exactly what I was looking for in terms of like a good mix of uh, there's some decent rugby players there, but also like a good uh, social side as well around that time. That's that's the key thing really. But what was the dynamic like? Obviously, we had a professional. Um, team, you know, at London Welsh in those days, playing probably when you started, might have just got relegated from the Premiership and in the Championship, and they're in Oxford a bit. And so, what was that dynamic like between the, the the pro club and then the amateur club? Did you was there much of a connection at all? Uh, not really. I think yeah, I think they went to uh, Oxford because Sam in the first year that I was there. So yeah, we didn't really uh, have any interaction with them at all. If it sort of, I mean, to us, it felt like we were like London Marsh proper still because we were playing for, at Old Deer Park and uh, using the facilities there and getting to play on the first team pitch. Um, and then, yeah, we didn't really see uh, much of them at all. And then I think they did come back for a year, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, after that. So we sort of used to see them a little bit uh, around the club there. Um, I remember that they had one the second time they got to the premiership um, when they, I think they were losing quite happily. So I remember them uh, there and they'd be quite, separate before the games and sort of people sat on their own it's just a very sort of different setup to like the amateurs and the, the social side of it um but then they, they had some success in that period as well in terms of getting getting promoted and i think they also won the british and irish cup in the end yeah in their last season but yeah I'd, it was very separate from from the amateurs and what the amateurs were were doing in that stage yeah they had three years of the kasam like all together then after that they had to come back so i think they did a year and a bit in the championship at, at ODP, so you'd you know been vying for like you know pitch space, I suppose. You know if they're, they're playing the championship, you'd be on pitch two. But if they were away, you get you'd be on pitch one. I'd, I'd imagine. But um, so you played for like for three and a half seasons with that dynamic uh, going on with the, the pro club mm -hmm. and the amateur club as it was. What was training like back then and the commitment from the players? Because you know what I want to understand is the, the difference when restart happened. Because there's not many people who've been there 
like you have and still there. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's what I'd like to understand a bit more of what that training was like and the commitment from players. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I, the we had, I think, three different coaches in that uh, in that time. Um, and that, yeah, I said we're like very grateful for them in terms of the amount of effort and energy they put into it and sort of amateur sport is all reliant on those type of people who are willing to sort of put their energy and time into uh into it but I'd, yeah i'd say that's probably quite often not matched by the players in terms of their commitment uh and effort uh training we used to just train once a week um and yeah numbers were mixed so sometimes you'd have uh like a 30 people down 40 people down and then other days uh, there'd be sort of five or six people down depending on what the weather was like um but yeah i think well i think there's probably one uh game we i think it was like chest and away maybe where we it was a sort of the big decider early on in the season of i think there was three teams vying for uh, the two promotion slots and it was us versus uh them it was like and and it would sort of decide who was going to go up that season and i think um it was also Wales versus New Zealand that day. So I think out of the squad of 18 who'd played on the previous week weekend, I think 13 of them were at the at the Wales-New Zealand game. Uh, so yeah, constant sort of challenges like that in terms of availability and, um, and, and varying levels of commitment. But still some, some good players as well, some tidy players as well, and, and some, um, some good wins. So we won in my first year, we, we got promoted uh, from Hearts Middlesex 2, I think it was, to Hearts Middlesex 1. Um, and then we were normally around the top of the league, I think, for most of those seasons. So we still still a lot of winning rugby, which is always more enjoyable. That, that certainly helps the, with the numbers. Look, I've got some, some data on the, the the last year before we became, uh, you know, one big community club. I think um, you weren't the kicker then either, were you? So um, I think um, people like Will Davis or David Hutchison, Steph Rorese, they did the kicking duties, but you did score five tries in that season before Project Reset. So obviously, were you playing fight half? Have you always played fight half for the club? Uh, yeah, always played fight half. I, one or two times I've played fullback, uh, but mainly fly half. I think I missed quite a lot of that season. I had a, another injury. Uh, had a, a had a boot to the heel to the face and I lost the feeling in the right, right side of my face for a few months. Uh, so I I, I mean, obviously the try tally would have been a lot higher if I'd played. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I missed quite a bit of that season. Um, but I think that was the only season that we weren't in the top three or four. So yeah, I think that season we ended up mid-table somewhere. So what? So obviously then we go to Project Reset or Restart. I'm not sure which one which one to use to be honest with you. But look, what was the what was the vibe around the squad when that new coaching setup was announced and our five-year plan? There must have been a, a sense of excitement that you take you had the responsibility take the club forward as players you know um and you, you know with expectations i suppose around a lot more people watching your games uh yeah so i i think we probably didn't realize uh the implications of it especially around like the number of like fans we were going to get down and the um following we were going to get i think the announcement around the coaching setup in terms of uh sunny and kai uh, and and will was a really positive really exciting also a little bit surreal i think a, Sonny, I, I remember like watching him at the Millennium Stadium at, like, in 2005 Grand Slam, also like 2003 World Cup. I'd say, um, yeah, definitely like a player like I looked up to and like followed. So then for him to then be coaching us and uh, talking to us about the game was yeah fairly surreal. Um, so yeah, I think there was like a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement around. And then I think in in those early stages, I think 
we had a, a, a few new players, but actually, the majority of the squad was was still the same as the um, as the previous year. That's great, that's there because you, you have the same players we're playing, but you know um, it's probably a noticeable step up in terms of coaching because obviously there's a bit more investments going into the coaching, so it's no disparity against who's coached before. But you know we've had people who've played the top of the game, were organised, and then and so the talent was there, but we just brought that talent to the fore, I suppose, with um, a, a, a step up in, in coaching intensity. Uh, yeah, I think so. The, I think there was definitely a step up in. Uh coaching and I think actually throughout the last sort of three seasons there's been like a real notable improvement from uh, Kai and Will and, and, and now Shings in terms of how they set up sessions and then um, yeah definite improvement there I think the they also managed to sort of drive just a lot more commitment from the players as well so I think the days of 13 players going missing one week to the next um, have disappeared as well so I think the, like they, they managed to get a lot more buy-in from the players and a lot more commitment and I think part of sort of having that goal of the um, four promotions in five years um, sort of setting the stool out as we're going to win the league that's what we're here to do I think that's got a lot of buy-in from the players and then we we're able to get a bit more consistency as well as uh, the improved uh, training sessions. I suppose it helps if you're playing in front of quite a lot of people doesn't it that you want to keep doing that rather than if you go missing you, you know to, to watch a Wales game you may not necessarily get your place back in the side. Uh, yeah I think yeah uh, being able to play in front of well, at Old Dead Park alone but also in front of the crowd is yeah it's pretty uh motivational uh reason to want to to pull on that sort of first team jersey and, and play um and yeah yeah a big factor that we soon started to realize i think uh in that in that first season where i think the first couple of games we had two three hundred and then that sort of built throughout the season towards having i'm not sure you're your data is completely accurate when you announce it in the stand, but we'll say around 800 uh, towards the end of the season. And yeah, a new experience for uh, most of us. Um, and yeah, I'd say uh, normally hugely beneficial, but also maybe not so when I'm missing the kicks and can hear the groans. Um, uh, but yeah, no, a, good, a, a great experience to be able to play in front of those fans. Just to be clear to our listeners, uh, the attendance figures are always independently verified. Okay, so I'm not sure what Lloyd's on about there. Um, look, but in the first season, right? Um, obviously, as you said, that some of the you had some new players turn up, like Sam Kane, Burles, Reese Howells, Ellis Staines, Sam Mahoney, Tom Baldwin. Then you had the existing ones like Alex Laban, Morgan Brown, Dyke Gabe, Courtney, and Ben Cullen. So it's a nice sort of blend, really, wasn't it? Really, of people who'd been there with some 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 new talents, but. Um, so what I'd like to understand is like you were team captain, but Courtney was club captain. What was the dynamics around that? Because Courtney was like reserve hooker in a way, wasn't he? Um, well, that's probably not, not fair to say that, but maybe Ben Cohen was picked on form or whatever it is. Uh, so what was the dynamics like from, from your perspective? Uh, yeah, as well. So as in terms of the club captaincy, I think, yeah, Courtney uh, took on that responsibility. I think he was involved a lot in terms of the setting up of the project restart and reset. Um, so I think that was sort of uh, like tribute to that in terms of the involvement he had there. Um, and then in terms of on a, on a game day or on, on coaching when it came to the rugby stuff, then uh, I was the uh, captain on, on that front. So, uh, yeah, again, that was another sort of honour. And again, a surreal experience. I think Sonny sort of taking me aside and asking me if I wanted to be the first team captain. So, uh, yeah, yeah, huge privilege and uh, yeah, lucky, lucky to be able to do it and to be able to run out and of the, the crowd there at old DP, ODP. 
Yeah, look, let's go that, that first season, Hartsfield 6-1. You know, what are your memories of that season? Because you played more or less. That's your most consistent season, really, in your other last three, um, due to the injuries we'll talk about in a minute. But you started 19 of those 21 league fixtures. You know, what, what oh, do you remember? Yeah. I'm glad you're covering Hearts Middle Sex 2, because there's notable emissions from... Hearts Middle Sex 1, it was, yeah. Notable emissions from both Will Greenwood's and Kevin Baring's podcast. They weren't able to weren't able to cover that. They more focused on the Lions uh, and the Barbarians. Uh, yeah, I, I can remember, I think the... Um, I remember the first game we played uh, away, and I think we narrowly won... Uh, there and I think that was with a very similar team to to that we'd had the year before uh, and then I think I remember that the last game of that season I think we beat the same team by about 60 points so I think that sort of showed the progression throughout that year um, I think the other notable memory was the uh, the game we lost I think to UCS old boys yeah that, that season uh, so yeah I think that was uh, got some uh, constructive uh, criticism from Kai on that day <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I think that was sort of, uh, I, I, that actually may have helped us a little bit, sort of like, making us understand that we're not going to cruise and we need to go out and, and beat these teams and, and, and earn the victories. Um, but yeah, I think, and then I think the end of the season stood out as well. We seem to I think for the last sort of five or six games, we seem to have something to celebrate. So whether it be that we'd secured the league or secured promotion, um, like last away game, last home game, um, trying to get to 100 points. So I think the sort of the run-in at the end of the season, we, we seem to have a lot of things to celebrate, which was, which was yeah, a good a good place to be at that time. You're very modest because I think you scored all the points in that first game against Wofford, uh, for, according to, to the data I've been given anyway. So with two tries and two conversions. Uh, you also scored uh, in four consecutive matches in the spring against French, Bank of England, Actonians and Royston in terms of tries. And uh, you scored quite you know, a lot of points that season, uh, that season, 118 points. But the kicking duties you had for the first few games, and then Mr. Tudor Davis um, stepped up at the Bank of England game and uh, won the game with that last gas penalty, and then I'm, had the I'm, duties afterwards. Yeah, I'm completely claiming that as uh, an example of good leadership. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there was a penalty in the last minute of the game, and. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Reese uh, felt confident about it, so I sort of get yeah gave him the ball and he knocked it over, and I think yeah it was hard to uh, hard to take the kick and tee off him after that. Uh, uh, rightly rightly earned, I think. That was, um, and he was eighty nil um, when you beat Watford at home, because okay. I, I should know because I, I refereed that game and probably your only yellow card of your career, Lloyd. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of yeah one of few, one of few, yeah. and and just like the other ones, completely unjust. Yeah, <laughs> but look, you know, um, what I want to understand is, you know, uh, the lunches at the club at the time that you know, um, because you're players, you don't really get in, you don't really see that aspect of, um, on a Saturday. But do you do you understand like what goes on in in those in terms of you know how many people would turn up if it was sold out and what it meant for the club to have you know that many people turn up you know two hours before kickoff to be engaged with um, the club. Uh, yeah, I think you don't really, uh, as you said, you don't really see it on a as a player. I think when you arrive, you see there's like a bit of a buzz around the club, and there's uh, lots of people like like filtering in there, um, which yeah, definitely like sort of builds the um, like atmosphere a little bit for you and sort of uh, the motivation again for you. Um, I think it's great to see, isn't it? I think when just seeing the clubhouse full uh, is brilliant, like before uh, and after games. Um, 
and yeah, and then it's a yeah, yeah, good, good old place to be. I'm normally sort of trying to weave in and out of the of the people at your lunches who are trying to get across the pitch at the same time as we're running out. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it's yeah, it's just great to see the uh, clubhouse full and just people get engaged again at the club. And and I didn't see. I think back to your question earlier on, like the pro club and the amateur club at the time, we didn't sort of see any of that involvement with people at the pro club, partly because they were uh, down in Oxford. Um, so yeah, it's great to see, great to see old Dip Park full again. As players in that season, you could all enjoy one of the pre-match lunches because Bank of England was postponed, wasn't it? And we went ahead with the St David's Day lunch, and which turned out to like a four or five hour sort of meal in the pagoda room when we had like you know martin phillips from the wiu there mm. you know journalists uh miriam gonzalez from inspiring girls charity so from that perspective you all got to enjoy a, a well a pre-match lunch without the match oh uh, yeah I, I, my so my parents and uh laura and her parents my wife and her parents were all down her family were down so they were all down to watch the game but uh yeah ended up being a afternoon on on the beers and and uh yeah with your entertainment so yeah no a good day and we all enjoyed it as well and they can understand why they consistently sell out i know you know um and listen to sort of chatting to kevin bowering as you mentioned last week he was talking about coming down from the changing rooms and walking through the bar back in the late 70s and 80s what's like you know he was amateur then we're amateur now what, what's that like though you know you've won a match you, you might have kicked a conversion to win the game or whatever it is and you're walking through the crowd, you must like feel like 10 feet tall sometimes, people patting your back, offering you, buying you beer. Uh, yeah, it's pretty special, that bit when you uh, yeah, come down from the change rooms and you're sort of walking through a, a packed bar and, and yeah, people congratulating you on your performance or, uh, or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, yeah, to be sort of just a part of that, uh, yeah, it's pretty special and you feel like, yeah, very grateful. I think a couple of memories of, and there was one, uh, wrestling themed social afterwards i think a lot of the boys enjoyed that walk with their uh, tops off and walking through the crowds uh, so that was one particular memory but then also just uh, being able to like have a beer like you said with the fans afterwards and i think a lot of them are like very knowledgeable rugby people as well who's able to sort of dissect the game and talk you through the game or ask you why you didn't pass on the three on two or <laughs> give, you some, give you some kicking technique advice <laughs> uh, uh, yeah Yes, there's a few opinionated individuals, but look, you know, that's all part of the fun, isn't it? But look, as captain, you also have some post-match duties because maybe some of the supporters aren't always aware, but you you then, the players go outside afterwards, you sing songs, there's a couple, and a couple of players have to neck a pint. So what do you have to do? What, what did you have to do when you when you're captain then post-match? Uh, yeah, so there's normally uh, uh, um, Man of the Match award. Uh, so there's yeah, a, little, a little speech with the other team just to talk through the game thank them for coming down uh luckily most of them we'd won so it made it a little bit easier for for me um and then yeah man of the match uh and then uh i say wally of the day <laughs> award as well um uh yeah and then they normally it's normally led by um led by the choir um to sing a song and then yeah on the chorus uh to to down the pints uh, one of the um perks of being the captain is that you uh, you never have to pick yourself in either of those positions so you can avoid uh, avoid having to down the pint but um but yeah no it's a good, a good little thing and, and also all of the other clubs seem to enjoy as well so they normally uh, i think coming down to old Dead park is a bit of a 
uh, privilege for them as well and they enjoy sort of sticking around the bar and having a few pints um, and, and getting involved as well which is which has been good not every club but the majority of them I'd say look you know, was, you know in that season obviously we won the league but you know it got a sense that it was everyone's cup final wasn't it coming to Old Deer Park and to get to play in front of that crowd so there's a little bit of pressure on London Welsh and less so on the other team but they really stepped up their games didn't they you know even though you know, we might have beaten some teams by 40 or 50 points you still got to earn the right to do that haven't you uh, yeah, I think so. I think for other, yeah, other teams coming down and uh, just playing on the pitch itself, uh, at, like playing amateur rugby and playing on such a quality pitch uh, is good. And then, yeah, like you said, I think um, playing in front of those fans as well, I think even for the other teams, that was um, something to look forward to. So I think they probably are, were able to field stronger teams than maybe they were other weeks and, and a little bit more on the line. So, um, but yeah, no, it's good. It's good to have those uh, competitions and, like, and yeah, a lot more enjoyable when you're, when you're winning. Oh, definitely. So the second season then, we're in London Northwest three. Bit of a strange season for you because you were officially named uh, club captain, right? Um, and then you played about five matches and then that horrific game in Hackney Marshes versus Old Street Onions, you get injured and uh, the final score is nil-nil. So take us through that that game and, and how did the injury happen? Uh, yeah, it was, fairly, it was fairly bleak. I think I played there a couple of times against Old Street Onions and think they were in... Uh, a couple of leagues we were on in before as well. So yeah, Hackney Marshes is like a, I think great iconic sporting venue in terms of the football pitches, but I definitely haven't seen its best side and definitely not on that day in the um, in the horrible way. I, I think we played there a couple of years previously and it was similar conditions. And I think uh, we were about to run out and all the boys just stayed undercover until <laughs> almost immediately until the, until the whistle went for kick off and I think that sort of determined that we were going to lose the game but yeah a different occasion uh that year and uh, yeah horrible conditions uh freezing cold windy rainy and weren't able to and completely exposed on on their pitch um so yeah sort of the structure sort of went out um of the game a little bit and it just became a, a little bit of a uh, dog fight uh and I think I've stayed on all the way up until half time and yeah just before half time um, I think off the base of a scrum, I think their number eight made a pick. I think whoever was playing seven for us that made the tackle and then sort of at my feet and I was uh, was then in a position to jackal, which I would normally have managed to avoid, but it sort of came right at me. And uh, whether it was the impact from their seven clearing me out or whether it was just a allergic reaction to the to being at the breakdown, I uh, yeah, broke my managed to break my shoulder. Um, but yeah, a bit unfortunate. So I played on for a little bit, um, oh. but then yeah, half time. Then uh, Di uh, took a look at it, Di Langdon, and uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't coming back on. Wow! And in in that game, did we have opportunities to score at all? Because as I say, it was nil nil. But was a you know pre and post you been on the pitch? Did you, did you watch the second half or did you, could you not get out? Uh, yeah, watched the second half. Luckily, actually, I so all the boys ran out uh, for the second half and I was in the change room and I was just trying to put my coat on but I couldn't do it because my shoulder so luckily the old Stratonians coach actually came in because uh, he was locking up the the rooms and helped me put my jacket back on because otherwise, otherwise I would have uh, yeah had to stay in there or been locked in there uh, yeah I came back out and then yeah it was it, I think it was pretty tense the whole way through I think we were fairly dominant and then we had a couple of penalties in front uh and yeah, I went through Kai under the bus, but obviously <laughs> uh, he, he chose to take the scrum. And then I think the, the referee then pinged us for a uh, scrum penalty, I think, 
uh, and then they, they managed to clear their lines. And I think Rodri had a chance to win it right at the end of the game, but it was a sort of howling wind and just just missed the kick for, uh, yeah, nil-nil. Uh, fair enough. Look, you were probably out for three or four months. You came back sort of in February. Um, you didn't go straight in the fly half. You played a little bit of full-back. Uh, so how was the rest of the season after that for you, really, after the injury? Uh, uh, yeah, good. I was, yeah, I was yeah, desperate to get back. I Then I, the first game back, I uh, played in the second team to try and get some fitness. I broke my finger in the first minute of that. So then that put me out for another <laughs> for another couple of weeks. And then, yeah, I came back against Royston at full-back. And then again, another pitch which is just completely exposed and like howling winds again so um, but luckily we were fairly dominant that day so I think we won 50 odd points to to not many um, so yeah I don't enjoy playing fullback actually that was a, a new experience for me um, and then uh, yeah got back in at fly half and, and by that t- stage the, the team had been sort of consistently winning and it was sort of a, I think they'd, we'd had our I think the, the second game against Old Streets we'd already won that at home so I think it was sort of plain sailing then really in the last few games up to the to the end of the season I think you had you had Datchworth as the last game didn't you and they bought like three coastloads of uh, boozy supporters um, and they were quite keen to beat London Welsh and it's a really really tight game so I've watched loads of championship games of London Welsh there and that's one of the most exciting nerve-wracking games I've ever watched I think it was 10-3 to us but there literally was a thousand people there watching that game, and it's an amazing atmosphere because their their fans were just were been boozing, <laughs> so they're this loud. So you playing it? You playing it now? Because at that point, I think it's our last game of the season. It might, it might have been. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, do, I remember playing that. I remember. I think uh, Laura actually had come down to watch with maybe her family again, and uh, she'd sat at the wrong end. I think. I think she'd sat with the Dashworth fans, who I think were. Uh, giving me some advice throughout the game uh, or some, some feedback throughout the game. So I think she was she managed to keep a cool head uh, in that. But yeah, I, I remember it being a, a, a close game and yeah, a good atmosphere as well. I think it was nice to, to have some opposition support as well. Um, and I think it, it kept on looking like we were going to pull away and then they kept on sort of uh, holding us back or like a couple of penalties we gave away in their 22 and we could never really quite get clear. Um, I can't remember what the final score was. I, I think we. I think, won. I think it was ten three or ten seven. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but it was just it was just so close and a nail biting game really, and that's what made it enthralling. I think for lo- lots of people, we could have been used to winning comfortably, I suppose, and but that one was a really tight game, and they really really wanted to you know to put one on us, but luckily. The player stepped up and we protected that amazing whole league record we've got now at ODP. Uh, yeah, I think they I think they were sort of a sign of the team teams to come as well. So they had like I think they had a 10 who was a decent kicker and then a, a bigger pack and um yeah, just harder to harder to beat and harder to put away. Um and I think that was sort of a sign of the teams we'd come up against in the next two seasons. Look, you had a bit of an interrupted season that year, but Tom May came into the club to be backs coach. Did you manage to play with Tom May as well? Well then, because I think he did play for two or three games, didn't he? Uh, yeah, played played a little bit with him. So yeah, played with him uh, and and Sonny, I think, in the maybe the season before that as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, played with Tom. Um, I think I think maybe on that day he didn't have his best game, but I think playing with uh, those players, I think the thing you notice is just the way they communicate on the pitch. They're just constantly talking, 
um, constantly like identifying space for you and like especially as a 10 just like really helping you out in terms of letting them know where they are letting you know what's going on I think that's probably the major difference I suppose especially because they weren't maybe at their physical peaks but the way they communicated and, and were able to like manage the game just through their communication was was yeah good to good to learn from pretty lucky to be able to play with those players still I loved it when Tom played I think it's the first game of this that season against Staines and they're all trying to like ruffle him up and you know tackle him and just just like things off the ball and as soon as the final whistle went they're all asking for selfies which I thought was quite amusing but uh, yeah it's sort of a no win for those for for those guys I suppose in terms of if they play well then it's sort of expected and if they, if they make any mistakes then people jump on them straight away and yeah I imagine they've got a bit of a target on their back for the uh, opposition players as well yeah, I just love the fact that they, they you know, want to play community rugby in, in a way. I, I really, really wish more people would do that because I think it adds a little bit, you know, stardust and excitement for, for you know, both sets of players and the fans are like, you know, I just love it. But look, second season, we, we win promotion for London Northwest 3, win Northwest 2, and in that third season, you then break a leg very, very early. It might have been the first game of the season or second game of the season against Luton. How, how did that happen then? Was it just... Just an uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was the, uh, yeah, third game in. I'm uh, hun- on record would like to say 100% Tom Baldwin's fault. Right. <laughs> so there was a, we had a, a penalty with about I think, 10 minutes to go. So kicked to the corner, uh, had a 22, asked him to call a line out to the back of the line out. Uh, and I was just going to have a go because I'd noticed previously the 10 was like just drifting off early uh, and I hadn't really had a run all day. So I thought I'd, to try and attack him on his inside so I asked Tom to throw the ball to the back of the line out so he called the ball to the front of the line out so and I, so I, I stepped inside the 10 and then the, the whole back row sort of came across and then yeah it just got um, just it was it wasn't really a big collision it just sort of got twisted up and then uh, uh, yeah I heard a heard a crack but I thought it was my ankle originally um, but yeah unfortunately it was a fairly bad one Fingers crossed that's the end of the bad luck that you've had across the last couple of seasons. Look, you know, it's a long road to recovery, but I suppose what one of the listeners understands, how would the London Welsh support you through those? Obviously, we, you know, amateur club, we're not talking about financial support, just support whilst you were you were injured and obviously then helping you recover from injury. Uh, yeah, so in terms of like the actual injury, I suppose uh, Heather, uh, the physio and her team have been brilliant and like always willing to give you their time. And then also... Will Taylor as well on the rehab side, uh, providing you sort of like fitness plans and, and rehab plans to try and uh, improving and get it back to um, where it is now, hopefully. Um, so that, yeah, that's been really good. Um, I think it was sort of, you're open then to sort of be as involved as, as much as you want. I think when I did my shoulder, I sort of tried to stay involved as much as possible, but I think after knowing that my leg was going to take me out of the whole season, I uh, try to stay away a little bit more um, but yeah I was still able to get involved in the sort of occasional team social so they do the uh, restaurant every uh, every month at the end of the month they go take the team out and go for a meal so I was able to get involved in a couple of those and that sort of thing to still feel part of the club because you're one of the senior leaders in, in, in the in the um, in the club with probably like something like Reese Howells that sort of thing so what what does that involve then you know, if, um, from the, that perspective uh, yeah, well, I think in terms of the like the socials and stuff, I think people like Reese uh, and Tom Baldwin and think take a real lead on that and like a real active in that, and, and have been even at the start of last season when um, the restrictions allowed briefly, um, and I think that will continue and I think sort of um, forms a big part of the club, also not just the like the way the first team performing, but also then how the other teams are all 
uh, engage and all uh, socialize after the game. So I think that's a big part. I think in terms of playing stuff, I think it's good to have players who've been around for a few years and have, have been um, part of the club and sort of understand what it means to, to play for London Welsh. Um, I think that sort of plays into it as, uh, as well. And I think that's going to be a, a good sort of challenge for the team this next year. I think there's going to be a lot of new faces. So trying to sort of maintain that identity and also sort of get people understanding what they're, what they're in for. So, yeah. So next season, start September, pre-season, mid-June, as you mentioned, you know, competition with places will be high, lots of new faces. So we're hoping that, you know, competition between the Druids and the first is going to be close because there's going to be, we're going to have a lot of talent there, hopefully. But the ambition for you to get to 50 caps, hopefully. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm expecting, uh, me and Laura are expecting our first child in July. Um, so, so got that to look forward to first. So we'll see in terms of my return to playing initially around pre-season just because of coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, then I would love to carry on playing first in rugby at London Welsh. It's a fairly unique experience for like an amateur sportsman to be able to play with this like coaching setup, the facilities, the crowd. Um, so and like a huge privilege and also just hugely enjoyable as well. So yeah, I would love the opportunity to, to do it all again. Well, hopefully yeah, no broken bones. Yeah, hopefully no broken bones. And for your child to see you play, and yeah, that that's that's special. So you know, and that you know, the generations of Davis has come through. Then you know, so you've you've you know, you've got one mini. You know, Rodri Dawes has got a couple of kids now, and you got some. You know, uh, Dan Jones has got little Oshan Jones. So it's you know, with this yeah. this we're sort of feeding these new players, you know, into into the minis, which is great. But look, you know. Since Project Restart, you've had 34 appearances, 13 tries, 165 points, right? You've scored the only drop goal in that time, by the way. Did you know that? No one else has scored a drop goal. Can't even remember who that was, who that was against. It was against Staines, um, Staines. away, I believe. Uh, so only three to, to Davis and Trodgy Dawes have scored more points than you because uh, of the kicking duties. But look at us. What a fantastic, you know, you've been unlucky with injuries, still a massive contribution to the club across these last three years. What, what does being part of London Welsh mean to you, Lloyd? Uh, yeah, I think oh, I think I touched on it previously. So I think there's like yeah, lots of different things. So I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a little bit there around like family history and I think like playing at the same club as my dad. And I think he loves coming down and watching. So I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, playing in front of 800 people as a, or a thousand people as an amateur is is fairly unique as well um so i think those are the things that you sort of think of immediately i think there's also something around london welsh being like a proper rugby club so i think a lot of the teams in london are sort of one team clubs or two team clubs whereas london welsh we've got the the whole um men's like adult section but then you've also got the if you come down on a sunday you've got the women's team you've got the minis and juniors so being part of like a proper rugby club i think there's something pretty special in that and then i think there's also something that I think a lot of amateur sports people miss out on is the like I think once you get to your twenties and you're working, then I think you you then sort of stop improving as a player or stop learning new things. Whereas I think in the last sort of few seasons at London Welsh with uh, Kai, Will, Taylor, and then, and then uh, Shings as well, he's been uh, like very active and, and and very good in terms of just you feel like you're still improving as a player and still improving as a team. And I think that's fairly unique thing as a uh, as an amateur sportsman and, and, and saying we're lucky to sort of get that input from those coaches um so yeah it's been I, i've been i feel 
very lucky and privileged to have been playing there for eight or nine years. And long may it continue. Look, thanks for your time today and good luck with your arrival of a child and look forward to seeing the family down watching you next season at ODP. Look, yeah, thanks, Lloydie, and uh, all the best. Uh, yeah, cheers, Gareth. Thanks very much.